Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 85 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today we're going to, uh, on this episode, answer a question, but also talk about what that question uh, brought up for us in discussion and kind of how to answer some of these questions that aren't, you know, that fall in the gray area and just don't have a real clear answer. So the question that sparked it all was a question that uh, came in through our urology coding and reimbursement group. And uh, and the question was from Jennifer, and we thank her for the question. It's, what would be the appropriate CPT code to bill for pelvic wave? And in parentheses, she said pelvic floor PT. So that brought up a lot of discussion internally and kind of how to, how to answer that. And... Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of, you know, break this down and why this is, uh, you know, that type of question that is, you know, in the in the very gray area. Sure. So, um, so first, I'm kind of going to run through a general methodology um, that we try and use to run to really dig a- around to see what kind of answers we can provide when we've got. A question with no obvious answer, new technology, um, although this isn't necessarily all that new, um, or technology that looks like it's, uh, I don't know, maybe not quite uh, the same as everything else, not commonly utilized, um, those types of things. And so this one fit into that category in that um, there are, you know, the technology has been around and we've gotten a question multiple times and we've poked around it a few times, but each time you get the question, you want to see if something changed. So I, I will typically start, um, with taking a look at any suggestion that might be there from the manufacturer, um, you know, they now this is not the be all end all. This is just the starting point. Um, see if they've got anything uh, guidance out there, anything that they've suggested. Um, and if if they do, then I'm going to go and verify it. Um, I'm going to drive down, you know, the CPT path. I'm going to drive down the HICPICS path and I'm going to drive down the Medicare carriers manual. And I'm, I'm going to look at some private payers and see if they've got anything further on it. Now, in, in this case, we didn't see um, anything um, on the Pelvic Wave website as far as suggestions. Um, and we looked at, you know, other potentially competitive therapies and, and didn't really find a whole lot. Um, when when that happens, then I might jump into the Google world and see what, you know, other people have said and commented on, again, as more of a... Of, of a guidance on which way to go. Um, didn't find a lot there that was all that helpful. Um, so then we expanded out the search um, a little bit, looking at Medicare and seeing what they have and 
and looking at various other areas um, like private payer websites. Um, and we had to actually go pretty far afield to get anywhere close. Um, now, there is a, um, a national coverage decision related to uh, re-education and, and biofeedback and uh, muscle therapy uh, that that is out there in a, in, a, in a couple of different places. And it does look like Medicare um, will cover um, if a patient has failed treatments for pelvic floor exercise, and they need four of them, um, at that they, they, they could consider uh, this therapy as covered. Um, so from that, um, now we're, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to submit for coverage and go back to that direct, uh, uh, to that direct coverage of which CPT code to use. And we poked down, uh, the biofeedback route. We poked down through the occupational therapy and physical therapy routes, looked at a number of different, um, LCAs and LCDs. Um, and it's important to understand the connection between an LCA and an LCD. Um, they've changed that uh, fairly recently. Um, actually, back in 2020, uh, they changed kind of how they did that. And that was in the making after uh, uh, Tom Price uh, was found to do some insider training. And they changed up the entire LCD process. And so right now, if you're looking for coding advice, You've got to go to an LCA, but you can start from an NCD or an LCD for at least some direction um, to come up with an LCA for coding uh, instructions. Now, as we did that entire dive um, and looked around at various different documents, LCDs, NCDs, LCAs, um, and technology assessments, um, it's pretty hard to nail down electromagnetic wave therapy uh, and a code, which is probably why we got that question. Um, there was significant discussion as we we're going through this to look at electrical stimulation. And we did have some precedent that electrical stimulation and, ele and electromagnetic stimulations were considered similar, but only for wound care. They haven't put that over into the muscle to the muscle side, um, which is kind of where we were. So we didn't. We've got a pseudo implication there that might uh, have led us, and and we landed on for at least a minute uh, the nine seven zero three two. If the physician was uh, actually part of the process, or the G zero two eight three, if uh, in the more likely setting would be um, if it were a uh, maybe a certified uh, tech that was uh, responsible for getting the patient set up in the chair. Um, I did not feel, we did not feel that biofeedback was really um, the right uh, path to go down as biofeedback really requires much more of a stimulation response um, and a little more patient participation than we see uh, and understand from the pelvic muscle therapy uh, service. So in the end, um, without that guidance for non 
wound care, which is what we're doing, non-wound care. Um, it looks like you might have coverage for the pelvic wave, but the CPT code we feel most comfortable recommending right now is the 97139, which is the unlisted therapeutic procedure. Um, now there, you know, there may be something down the road that connects electrical stimulation and electromagnetic stimulation a little more strongly. Um, but right now, um, it looks like that 97139 is there. But the the real process. So so right now, um, we're going to answer that question as we'd recommend 97139. But I think more important in all this stuff. Uh, and what we are trying to cover today is that research pathway. Um, it's not always easy, um, and it and it doesn't always provide the results that you want. And and by the way, the other thing we found as we were digging through this that um, the majority of private sector payers uh, that are out there uh, do not consider the uh, electromagnetic therapy as a covered treatment. Um, so that would often fall outside of your uh, covered services and, and as a cash pay service. Um, but in each case, you wanna check with your payers um, before you, you go down either pathway of billing for the service under a specific code or um, uh, charging the patient directly uh, without actually expecting the insurance company to participate. So it's a it's a torturous piece. It does require a little bit of work and a lot of clicking around, and and you can't stick within the box of just looking for a particular um, uh, device uh, or therapy. Um, you oftentimes have to kind of poke a little bit outside um, into a broader category to see what's out there. Um, and and from, a, from an overall standpoint, it's, uh, again, a, a little bit of connecting the dots, um, but on the other side, not going too far afield with your conclusions with the dots you're collecting, connecting. Kind of reminded me of, uh, it kind of reminds me of peeling an onion, as they always say. You, you peel off that layer and you look at kind of what you have next and then you peel a layer until you get to the right answer. And I mean, just had a lot of different facets on on this particular question. And as, as Mark said, we went down several paths and kept asking the question to get to the to the final best answer in our opinion. Yeah. And the other thing we should probably add in all this is there are some significant restrictions on how many treatments are covered and and um, the progress and plan of care. A lot of things we didn't touch on that we stumbled across in the overall uh, research as well. So uh, make note of all of those things as you're looking at those as well. Now, Mark, if I heard you correctly, it's still none covered by a lot of payers and maybe none covered by Medicare, correct? Uh, so it's so it's it looks like it would be covered at least some of the time under certain circumstances for stress and urge incontinence by Medicare. 
but there are significant uh, requirements to get to that coverage. So I don't think it would ever fall into the non-covered completely category. Um, and so you'd probably want to get an ABN in order to provide that service with direct billing to your patient because it's covered in some circumstances, as opposed to being non-covered in private care, which in in those cases it's you're you're just off you're outside of your contract in direct patient care. So if my Medicare carrier did not pay for it, uh, I would still need to get an ABN in order to charge what I wanted to for the for the service. Correct. If you you need to you mean to charge the patient directly? Yes. The um the the ABN I would think is. Uh, I would advise it for any time you're using this because there is an NCD that does say it is covered in some circumstances, um, although not totally clearly. So I would definitely get an ABN and, and charge uh, under that and not consider it non-covered for Medicare or Medicare Advantage plans. Interesting. Yeah, so it... It, I tell you the the well maybe we should explain a, a little bit more the difference between um, you know what when an ABN is needed in a non-covered service right so if Medicare covers a service or procedure um, some of the time under specific circumstances then I would never put it in the non-covered category if it is never covered by Medicare for any reason whatsoever, then it is non-covered and you're, you don't need an ABN and you can charge what you want. If you've got the ABN, you do have that restriction of making sure the patient signs an ABN every single time, knowing that if Medicare does not pay, they would be responsible because Medicare would consider it medically or medically unnecessary or not medically necessary or reasonable in that circumstance for that patient. Good advice. How does the FDA approval factor into all that? Well, so FDA can can look at two different things, right, as they bring things through. But their primary concern is safety. So if it's FDA approved for, for, for treatment of devices, then it's safe. Um, the uh, efficacy, which is kind of where it, it hits the rubber meets the road to change it into a covered or a non-covered service, um, may be supported um, by and, and is typically supported by peer-reviewed articles that are out there. So, you know, it's kind of interesting as you look at, um, at all the coverage, the FDA and um, and and the CDC get relative to anything that comes through that process that you know that those are two very separate and distinct goals of any of those those bodies and how they make decisions. Um, one is safety and one is efficacy. So if it's cleared from the FDA, it could be cleared safe with some efficacy. But it doesn't necessarily mean 
its efficacy in a compared, uh, you know, double-blind study has actually been done or published. It was only some uh, small trial or something that got it through the FDA. So there's there's a number of bars that each device or drug needs to clear, and FDA has a role in making sure it can come into the market. But the FDA clearance or uh, or uh, general approval doesn't necessarily state the efficacy is there, and that's left more to the coverage decisions of the payers um, and to physicians as to whether or not they feel it helps their patients or not based on the research they do. All right. Any other comments on that, Ray? No, the only other thing is, Mark, you left um, my favorite research tool out of your conversation is I usually go to coding today first to see what I can find. <laughs> That's a good point. And yeah, we should it'd be good to add some notes and things in there as we get them through. And and that's then we do that on our internal stuff. So those are you're right. I do. Coding today is always in the mix. All right. Well, very good. Um, I think that wraps up this episode. Uh Final thoughts on the, on this topic, Mark. Go to you. Yeah, um, I would say double check, triple check your information that's out there, um, and um, look for as much consensus as you can get. Um, but then remember that in the end, um, that last hurdle is always going to be coverage by your by your payer or not. Um, and understanding what's in contract, what's out, what you can do about those things that are covered some of the time, but maybe a patient needs more of it. All of those things are important to understand um, when you're dealing with any service, but in particular, newer or less commonly provided services. Ray? Just emphasize the old saying, the proof is in the pudding, and that proof in the pudding is whether your pay, payer is going to pay for that service or not for that patient. All right. Well, we'll wrap this episode up. And uh, as Mark and Ray mentioned, the, they talked about coding today. So you can always go to auacodingtoday.com and sign up for a free trial and check out the tool. And um, also, if uh, you uh, would like to also sign up for the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group, you can find both those links to sign up for a free trial for AUA Coding Today or to sign up for the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group where you can look at these questions and the answers that have been provided and ask questions if you'd like. Um, if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash 085 uh, for episode 85, you'll find those links. All right, with that... We'll wrap up this episode. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery. <laughs>